I'm going to call the meeting to order. Um, I'll do so. Uh, attendance, Trustee Lawrence. Here. Trustee Banerjee. Here. Trustee Lujanani. Thank you. Thank you. We have a quorum. Okay. Well, we go to tab one and we'll have approval of the minutes. Um, I move for both June and July. Can I move uh, that we approve the minutes for June and July? You can move them both if you choose. Um, Jim? I'll second that. We're all approved for all five. Thank you. Um, I did make a comment to um, our to Susanna, and I'll make one to Rick. I'm not quite certain that I understand the the minutes, and would hope that the minutes would reflect more of the questions, and not necessarily the ramblings, because I'm I can in fact do that, but. Um, the, the questions and comments by board members, and I don't see really in any of these minutes that that is the case. So I'd really like to make certain that um, for the board's accountability and to make certain that the public knows that we are, in fact, questioning and answering and asking specific questions relative to the items on the agenda, I think it's important that those minutes reflect as opposed to... and. and and Rick, I suppose you have to have certain things that you have to show that are that we talked about. Is that the case? Uh, try to show that we have uh, coverage of the pertinent points of the meeting. Okay. So, but not all of those things that were in the minutes did we discuss. So they were a part of your packet, but they weren't discussed. And so I, I, I want to make certain that in future. We're, we're just a little more cognizant about what is the conversation that occurs at a, at a meeting. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Um, can I have a, a vote to approve the minutes? I move. Aye. Oh, uh, but yeah, yeah. Thank, thank you. And, and, I'm, and I'm going to, to vote nay. Thank you. Okay. Um, we'll move to... Our next agenda item, and Rick, can I turn this to you? Okay, the next agenda item would be an update on the annual audit, and I have uh, Ben Mack and Brian Connor here from Moss Adams to uh, talk about uh, the progress of the audit. Right. Hello, thank you for having us. Uh, I'm Ben Mack. Uh, we're here to give you an update. This is the first time we've done this, so I'm going to start off at a high level, and 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 then work down and you can you can stop me if I have too much detail what's a good amount of time to plan for here and I'll kind of start off by saying I don't think that we're going to be telling you well we're not going to be telling you about heavy-duty issues here uh, so you want me to go on for as long as I want to five ten minutes something in that range um, you know I'm not certain let me look at the minutes but you know brevity is is more important than rambling so understood so at a high level, as of right now, we don't have any pending audit adjustments as part of that hospital audit. And we don't have um, things that we're currently working on that looks like they would turn into a material audit adjustment. Um, we have, um, there are still some significant open items um, that we're waiting for. Um, those include the MDNA, the footnotes, the, re the related disclosures. 
Um, we think we're going to get that in a, in a couple of weeks, and when we get those items, we'll audit them. There are also some items that, you know, perhaps we didn't really understand we were going to get them later, but I think we were always going to get them later, including some the workers' comp and the medical malpractice actuary reports and the confirmation of a lot of balances with the county. Um, I'm not really so sure that this wasn't always when we were going to get them, but now we know that we're going to be getting those things in September. Um, we did... Um, we did work with management in terms of getting things on our request list, um, and it was a little slow, but we're getting there. Um, we're, we expect to be able to meet your timing needs uh, from where we're at right now. Um, so that is kind of a, a high-level update of where we're at um, with the hospital audit. You know, big takeaways there would be no pending adjustments, um, and uh, I'll just I'll pause there before we go on to the single audit and uh, and wait for any any questions. Uh, what what specific challenges have you had, if any? Um, just working with management to get all the things that we've asked for. Timing, the timing issues, responsiveness. What 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 typically? I think we probably asked for more things and certain details that perhaps hadn't been asked for before. Um, you know, and I'll let management speak to the details of this, but David Staub is new. Um, and so, um, you know, there's some things like working on AR that I'm not sure that our predecessors had asked the same types of questions we've had asked or as many questions. And it was uh, uh, perhaps challenging getting information. Well, um, is there a list of reports that you need that you have given ahead of time? Yes. Okay. But so, it's not quite as simple as saying we need report X, Y, Z out of the, the system. Um, you know, I'll give you an example. We asked for, um, uh, you know, one thing that they're working on is a bad debt roll forward. And traditionally, management is not bifurcated out of bad debt reserve, but they're doing that right now. So that's a methodology to be worked on, and then the resulting schedule. We got it the first time. They said, we don't have this, and, and, and we, we talked through it, and we came to an agreement that, okay, we're, we're going to get that. That would be a good example. Okay. Some of the things that have been asked um, for, it's, it's really a different approach this year to the audit. And uh, they've actually asked for a lot of custom reports. Uh, for example, they would ask for all uh, payments received after July 1st of 2016 that pertain to uh, encounters from before July 1st of 2015. And so we have to go and do a custom report at uh, AHS, we have to do one at San Leandro, we have to do one at Alameda, and there are certain challenges in getting that data from each of those hospitals and then validating to make sure that it's accurate, and we've had to go through a number of iterations because you get the data and it's like, well, no, that's not it. Uh, you've got half of the encounters that we're looking for. Try it again. And, and so we're working with uh, analysts to to gather accurate data to provide to them. Otherwise, we're going to have lots of findings because we gave them crap. 
So we're we're working um, through that and should have it finalized shortly. That was a technical term. <laughs> it's an audit term. <laughs> is it? Uh, well, okay, I'm trying to. I mean, it's kind of a negative vibe I, I get. But it, uh, is this a matter of this, this is the first year that you know Moss Adams and HHS are working together? It's kind of just you know getting used. You know, sort of just uh, you're getting used to each other, or is there something else? I don't think it's a negative vibe. It's just uh, Moss Adams has a very uh, thorough approach, which <clears throat> we applaud. Um, I think the staff here has not had to do uh, some of these, these things in the past. Certainly MGO did not request many of the uh, reviews that are being done now. Um, <clears throat> bad edit issue is a perfect case in point. Two, three years ago, there were never any bad debts because we never went after the money. It just mm -hmm. written off. Mm -hmm. Now we're going after the money, mm -hmm. and so it's appropriate to have a reserve. So that's that's an effort. Um, all of the um, reports typically involve getting into the system in one form or another. That's not easy. No, it's not it's always not. easy. Yeah, okay. Any other comments you want to make? Anything else you want to tell us? Um, you know, items that I would highlight that we've talked about have just been accounting for modification of the debt agreements with the county. Um, still working on our end on auditing supplemental reimbursements and getting the best understanding and testing that data and those are those are key estimates uh, you know how are you how are you deciding what to and what to not recognize from supplemental programs is are, those are key um, and then one thing we've discussed with management about patient AR is we are going to with management use information regarding how much cash you're collecting by facility after year end and we're going to look at it with management and say you know do we have any information at I think very importantly three months after year end because um, we're, we're not issuing till almost four months after year end so there's a period there where we can look at that data and together analyze given what we're seeing here is there is are there any adjustments that we think should be made um, yeah, that's a little bit different than your monthly close where you're trying to get it out, whatever, a few weeks after year end. With this case, you're required to update key estimates up through the report date. And so uh, the right thing to do is avail ourselves of that information up through the report date. Mm -hmm. So those are kind of key things that we're working on there. Um, and I, I, I would want to say it's not been a negative process. I'm just trying to be transparent oh, with what our open items are. Uh, management's I asked been very for challenges nice to work and getting into the system is a challenge in specific reports. So I don't think there's any foul here. You okay. know, I, we have confidence that the staff is working as hard as they can, and I expect that you would as well. So, uh, do you have a timeline in which you you will have completed your? I have forgotten, and I remember you gave it to us in, in, in your initial presentation, but I've forgotten. Great question. So we're going to issue, I think, on if off the top of my head, we're going to come here on about November 4th and issue the next day, something thereafter, pending if there were significant questions that were raised at that meeting mm -hmm. or some uh, subsequent event that needed to be dealt with right at that date. So we're really targeting. We're really targeting November fifth, November sixth, just off November top. Is the next okay. Um, so a, a, a day or two after that meeting is is the is the issuance date. We want to have you materials. You know, ho hopefully a week and a half 
uh, before the meeting, something along that line, which means that management has them uh, a, a week before that. Um, so that is also where we, when we talk about uh, first 10 days or so of October, looking at those receivables, that's kind of the last really clean window to look at those. Well, I think we had talked about, um, certainly the committee had talked about at some point we wanted the whole board to have an opportunity to hear your report. So we might schedule that in December or end of November, whenever. So I'll, I'll leave that to you to do a timing. But uh, but we do think the whole board ought to hear yeah. your conclusions. We'd welcome the opportunity to present that. Okay. Thank you. Okay. So we're, we're also work, we're doing um, uh, a couple other things. The foundation audit, and I'll just say because it, it rolls up and it's in your statements, we're moving along, it's going well. Um, the health partners audit has been pushed back a little bit, uh, you know, based on the activity in the year uh, and the size of that entity, that's not a particularly big, big deal. Management decided to push it back, and we think that makes sense. The last thing I wanted to point out is so with the single audit of federal awards, um, we're working through with management um, findings in a couple of different areas in the MMA, sorry, MAA program, um, looking at allowable costs due to support information. I think that has to do with time study. At this point, I would just describe that as management's coming back over the next few days with information. Um, and then we're also looking at the Ryan White program, which I believe is the HIV program. And... Um, you know, we've got some issues that we're looking at in eligibility. That was an issue last year. Um, that, that could be an issue this year, but again, we're working with management on really what those findings mean. Um, so that's where the single audit is at right now. So when, when you do the report, you will have a recommendation and then the management allow an opportunity for response. Is that how it goes? Okay. Yes. And then th that document is public, I'm assuming. Yes. Okay. okay. Any questions, committee? Well, thank you for spending your evening with us. Appreciate well, it. Well, thank you for inviting us. Mm -hmm. We appreciate it. Thank you. Okay, let's move to the next item. Rick, <coughs> I'm going to call on you again. Okay. The uh, next item would be the meaningful use audit report. And uh, what I've uh, done was, was reviewed the meaningful use program, made sure that the documentation was appropriate, that we supported the findings, and that we were on track uh, for going forward. And what I found as a result of the audit was that the hospital program looks pretty good. We're getting incentive payments. We're on track for uh, the milestones that need to be uh, monitored for next year. Uh, but the provider program uh, is kind of problematic uh, because the next-gen system has not been implemented throughout the uh, uh, organization. We don't have the EHR we uh, did some initial uh, assess, uh, attestations, and we got some money on the provider side, but 
when they have to actually use the EHR and produce certain results, uh, they can't do that at the station because we don't have the EHR in place. So we're pretty much uh, not going to make the incentives that were projected for the provider side. And <clears throat> that could be uh, a substantial amount, but uh, and, and it also results in some penalties on Medicare payments, which will be escalating over the next few years. Uh, it's 1% for last year and moves up to 3% uh, in another year. Uh, so there's, there's some penalties on that side, and we've been working with management for corrective action uh, on, our, on the issues that we identified. And would, would you go back, Rick, and define for me, because I, have, I do have a whole lot of questions, but um, define for me what is, what's the definition of meaningful use? So meaningful use is, uh, first of all, to have a certified electronic health record in place and then uh, to meet certain quality indicators that CMS has dictated, uh, which means that we have to uh, perform certain functions and document from a quality standpoint how we're doing, how we're providing patient care. Uh, and if we don't do that, then we don't get uh, the money for a testing. So not only do we not get the incentive, but now after a time we also get penalized. So it's from right. the fence. Right. Right. So what, what do you see the causes of, uh, and you, you outlined a little bit, and this was really thorough. I, I, I do want to compliment you on how much work you put into the report. but. Um, what seem to be the challenges? What are, what are the hurdles? And maybe, Dave, you're in a better position to respond to that. But, you know, yes. th this is just such a tragedy to have money, you know, sitting there that you can have and you don't get it. So there's two different programs under Meaningful Use. So there's the, the Medicare program and the Medicaid program. And so as an eligible provider, which means physicians, that perform practice in an outpatient setting, not, not a hospital-based physician, that's who becomes an eligible provider. Uh, you have to pick which program you want to participate in. So for the majority, I would say all of our providers that we've signed up for the program, signed up under the Medi-Cal program. Um, so there are no penalties under the Medi-Cal program, there are only penalties under the Medicare program, but it's on any Medicare patient you see. So you could even sign up for the Medi-Cal program and still qualify to not receive Medicare penalties. I made that more complicated than it needed to be. Well, I you, guess the question is, what, what, why are we not able so, to get this? Right, so I wanted to kind of give that background of why there's those two programs. And so under the Medi-Cal program, there was a, an, an AIU, kind of a stage zero program, where you could sign up to say, I want $21,500 to help me adopt, implement, or upgrade my system to be meaningful use compliant. So the majority of our providers are signed up under that piece of the program. So we got the initial 21500 for the majority of our providers that qualify under eligible provider. And so what we did then was we implemented NextGen in the freestanding clinics. And, and before we implemented that in the specialty clinics or at Highland, uh, the decision was made to move forward with the Sorian products. So that was in 2012 with the, with the decision on the strategic plan to say we want to move forward with Siemens as our partner and Sorian as that platform for the integrated record. 
Soaring Ambulatory was the product that was going to be used. So we stopped next implementations and, and we're working with Siemens on developing that Soaring Ambulatory product. So that essentially stopped moving forward with NextGen. Uh, in the subsequent years as that project went forward, in 2014, when Cerner announced they were acquiring Siemens and, and Cerner said we're stopping development of Soaring Ambulatory, that's when we had to go back and say, okay, we need to rethink our strategy. We won't be able to roll out Soaring Ambulatory, and now we need to go back and look at NextGen to roll out NextGen. And that's when we started that process to say, what does that look like at Highland, which is different than the freestanding centers, and how they deal with laboratory and radiology. At the freestanding centers, it's done by Quest Labs at the freestanding centers, and radiology is done in a different way than it's done here. And so that was part of that situation where we needed that order spending activation I talked about to make it most functional and safest for our patients to have that in place before we went live. So the, the delays were, we, we, had, we stopped next year to do Soren Ambulatory, Cerner then saying we're not doing Soren Ambulatory, and then we had to regroup and come back with NextGen to roll it out to the rest of our clinics. So, it, uh, I'm sorry, please you, go ahead. No, no, so Michelle, even I had that problem because I was thinking reading this that maybe the physicians are not being engaged or not doing anything, and it, it came, <coughs> is that the NextGen is right now only in the ambulatory, but not in the specialty clinics. And not having NextGen, not having the capacity doesn't allow the providers to, they just don't have the capacity. So yeah, that's, there's, there's that's two components, and I don't want to, I don't want to not share the full story. So not every physician that is using NextGen is using it in a meaningful way. And using it in a meaningful way means meeting all the criteria that meaningful use requires. So you have to have a certain percentage of your patients educated on smoking cessation. You have to have so many of your patients educated around their specific de disease. And to to attest to that, you have to document it. And you have to document it in the boxes and the drop-downs that have to be checked and pulled down and checked to, to get credit for it when the system produces the report. Because it's not enough just to say, we've done a chart review and we find it all that it's all in there. In most cases it is. Physicians will dictate it or put it in their narrative. But if they're not checking the box when NextGen produces the report, they're not meeting meaningful use. So we have many providers that are using NextGen, but not using it in a way that checks those boxes and uses those pull-downs to make them able to attest to meaningful use. So the, the, one, the ones that are in fact having meaningful use, is there anything that our system is doing that is, that is inhibiting their ability to, to have meaningful use, to use meaningful use? I, um, use the system in a meaningful way, the I way guess. it has <laughs> been defined by the federal government. Right? That's how they yeah, define meaningful I mean. use. Um, there are certain constraints because as the, as the stages have evolved, there's been new requirements placed on them. And one of those is having a patient portal that the patient go on and look at their results uh, to see and, and a summary of their visit when they were with the physician. We do not have that in place today with NextGen at our ambulatory clinic. Because we don't have the staff to do it, we don't have the dollars necessary to buy people to get it done. There aren't folks. I mean, what? So, I mean, I under. Rick is real clear on we're not doing all this right. stuff, but I'm not understanding what are the challenges. And as a committee, is there any leverage that a board can do to say, well, we should have spent? I mean, we're losing a lot of money. Uh, after year one, it's eight thousand dollars per provider per year. And so if it, you well, so it's a couple hundred thousand. And 
into the millions as you to look the at provider. No, I mean, to, not to, to the us, provider, to us, to us via yeah. the provider. Right. Okay. As they attested that. So, so the difficulty was the process by which we would enroll those patients in in the patient portal specifically. So, what's the total loss to the budget? Uh, we have. The, I don't have those numbers in front of me, but we we have those numbers calculated. I, Rick I don't would know. Do have them? I I do have them. I just don't have them right now. In both the penalty. So, this is where medical. So the, the penalty was about. $170,000 uh, was what we calculated the first year for Medicare because we have a smaller Medicare base. Uh, it wasn't that substantial, but I I would think... Well, are, are, am I reading that total incentive payments is $20 million, or is, is there not a... Oh, that was total for all programs. That would be hospital and provider. Uh, we've already gotten uh, $4 million of the 12.8 that was projected for provider, but uh, we are subject to lose uh, probably five million if things don't turn around quick. It's five million over total over, over the next five years. Five years. Five year. Oh, five years, or what, what's five years? What's the date from that we need to do from October to December? What is that? That That's would be the three month. Uh, period that we would need to enroll that a the first time? The attestation period. Or Remember the attestation comment where you attest to doing those, to performing the, using the system in a meaningful way and have the documentation to support that. And that's for year three? No, that's for year one. Year one. Uh, yeah, so that's your first attestation is saying I'm using a system in a meaningful way. And if you don't do it, you lose what? Well, that's where Medi-Cal is a little differently because in Medi-Cal, under the Medi-Cal program, Medicaid, you can skip years and not lose any money. But because it's a six-year program, we will likely lose $8,000 for each of those providers that don't attest this year because they won't, won't have a back end to it. And that's probably around, I'm guessing, 100 providers, roughly, 110, 120 maybe. And it providers at 8,000 providers. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else you the, want to Well, the alternative use? on that, or the flip side on that, is implementing the system is a lot more expensive than the incentives that we get. So it, you know, you can, we can get money back, but it doesn't really cover the cost of uh, implementing an EHR. Oh, all right. So, why was it important for you to show us this? Uh, I, I'm showing the lost opportunity because I think we're going to be implementing an EHR anyway. Uh, so you might as well try to get money if you're going to. Spend. But I just heard you say that it was not as. It bad. doesn't recover all the money that we spend on an EHR, but the delays are are costing us money. And we have to do it at some point and in time. At some so point. We might not make it in this, like rush and do it now, like, you know, in the next two, three months, but do it better with the long-term EHR plan and do it right, where we pay the penalty right now instead of going into something that's suboptimal. Is that how well, I'm Well, we, we are working to get Nextgen implemented so that next calendar year those providers can attest. 
so that we don't lose all of the money okay. and we still get some of it. And so basically you're saying, cool it, Michelle, no worries. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't say The that. other it's, thing is... I mean, uh, I'm okay. I just... No, I, 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 I interpreted no. this as... you explained all this to me because I was like, I had smoke coming out of so my ears to thinking of meaningful all the things use, that's going through... It, uh, it gets tougher every year. The amount of things that we have to... Uh, monitor and measure and report is is going to get uh, more stringent each year. So the sooner we get into the program and start uh, training the physicians to document uh, according to the system standards, then the better off we are. Okay. As our auditor, what is it that you want to tell me? What is the pearl that I ought to know as a person who has to hold an organization accountable? What's the pearl here? Uh, I would say you should be pushing to get something going. We need we need some progress, and we're hearing that IT is working on it. Yeah. Uh, but how do you get uh, more faster? It's a quality issue too. So we absolutely have to do it. And if the next gen, like you said, will be going into the specialty clinics by next year, right? So as A, and the, even the ones who, the providers who are using it now, how do you do continuous training yeah. and education so that they do it right? Because even when the, the ones who are doing it are not all doing it right, right? So right. Th that's where we could, so there are, there's an urgency about this. Yeah, and I think another, you know, piece or another, <clears throat> excuse me, linkage, you know, about this, is when you look at the continuum of what we're doing to change as an organization, this is sort of a window on our, our capability to do that. Yeah, because this is a program which basically provides you an incentive to go out and do something and then change the way that you are operating. And that's what we've been talking about on a much larger scale. And so, you know, I think that's one way to also look at the, you know, how we've done with meaningful use. It's sort of a test. You know, if we basically require you to start changing the way you operate for quality reasons, which is basically moving from a fee-for-service to a value-based, you know, payment, there certain things are behavior, and this helps us to understand, you know, what the challenges are for an organization like ours, you know, how you go about training people, getting them, you know, to buy and stuff like that. So I think that there's many pieces to this separate and apart from just the money, because as Rick says, the money itself has one element to it, but then there's the quality issue as well. This is a CMS program, and, you know, we are a big, um, you know, that is a large part, you know, of our, so, you know, good performance in this program, you know, is not a bad thing. So I think there's many different elements that, you know, can be drawn upon or that, you know, you might look at in terms of saying, okay, this is illustrated, this piece for me that we think you all should you know, do better or you've done well here, that type of thing. And I think you know, all of Rick's you know, reports, I think, have some element of that to them, that they are basically a window on some aspect of what we're doing that perhaps helps to inform how we can do better on other pieces as well. So, I, I would like to add, since Rick's audit, uh, we have contracted with Lumetra, who is an agency that, that receives federal funds to help mm -hmm. implement EHRs in physician practices. And so it's a zero-cost contract to us for them to come in and help us get everyone signed up that can be signed up. 
So they're reviewing that to see how many providers out there may not be signed up under the AIU, that first 21,500. Mm -hmm. And also help educate those physicians that are on the system to be using the system more effectively and help us get the system implemented and help with the change management. Okay. So that's a, that's a really exciting opportunity for us to bring in those additional resources from Metro, who's done this at other places with lots of other people to help move them forward at zero cost to us. Well, then what, if I could kind of shift a little bit here. Talk, talk a little bit so that I can understand the relationship between Rick's work and how it informs the organization and how you make, again, we talked earlier about priorities, how, I, I don't understand the internal audit process. I, I don't, and I'm chair, and, you know, I've said I just kind of fell into this. Sure. Um, so I, I just don't don't understand. So I, I actually, uh, I, I want to say for the for the record, uh, for the group, because uh, I, I haven't had a chance to talk to Rick or Mike about this, but, uh, um, I, you know, we had a, a sort of exchange around uh, what what is the role of the committee and how does the, the role of the committee and the work of the uh, the internal auditor and your work and then influence how do they interplay and how do they work with the organization and I think the uh, OIG uh, um, sort of guidelines around the seven elements of a uh, of a uh, compliance program I think uh, there was some reference to it in our minutes and perhaps uh, some discussion in the last meeting or about this or not uh, but I think we need to do a little bit more education around that um, to really demonstrate where uh, the role of the internal audit and or auditor and the uh, compliance program is really just another safety valve, if you will, to look at practices within the organization and and uh, making sure that they meet the you know the spirit of uh, various regulations by which we're governed uh, and various forms of just good pr business practices. So, so uh, what he uh, does uh, is effectively. Um, takes a, a, a host of sort of uh, inputs, which could be um, complaints that we've received. They could be inter like internal or external. Uh, they could be business practice changes that we've done or changes in practices in the industry that may lead to kind of areas of vulnerability where he's looking around the healthcare community overall and like-minded or, or like individuals that are in this practice saying, where some potential exposures um, uh, to the organization for fraud, waste, or abuse, and saying, now let me look at those practices and come up with, or the things that we do, um, and come up with those risks that we have and say, I'm going to take a deeper dive into some of these to then be able to inform the organization, you know, we're doing this okay, uh, and we feel comfortable about it, to, you know, we're doing a really bad job at this. And some of that could rise to the level of just poor practices that need to be improved, or potential fraud, waste, or abuse. Uh, uh, and we're doing the, the element or the rationale for doing it internally uh, ourselves is that um, we are always, all organizations are subject to federal government oversight. And if the, internal, if the federal government came in and found problems and they either you know severely penalized us or put us on a corporate compliance uh, or corporate improvement, CIA, whatever it's called, uh, agreement, um, the, the measure and the manner, the degree to which they do that is some, and in some ways informed by how, um, how the willingness of the organization to do a voluntary program, this is a volunteer program, uh, to do a voluntary auditing program where we're constantly checking ourselves uh, and how effective that program is. Mm -hmm. So when he's doing this report saying, here are the risks that I think we're, we have, 
here's my plan to look into some of those things. Uh, and then here are my findings in those areas that then he effectively does what an external auditor does is bring it back to management and say, here's what I've discovered. Uh, and if it's good, good. If it's not, then here are the opportunities. You respond to that. I'm going to take it back to the committee to say to you, on behalf of you, I'm looking into these things. Here's what I've discovered. Here's how management is planning to respond to those things. And, and so that's what happens in all of the audits that he's doing. And then there's the follow-up of managing that corrective action plan that the organization said we were going to do. He's reporting back to you. Um, here are the findings. Have they actually completed what they said would be the corrective action for all of that? So, so that's sort of the tie to how what he does then informs uh, what we do differently or better or continue to do if it's working well. Uh, but in the case of uh, the one like this, and I think it's what Mike was getting at, um, it, it, it can sometimes be nuanced. So it's not necessarily the fact that there's a, obviously there's an ideal. If there's an opportunity to get incentive dollars for something you plan to do anyway, you always want to get those dollars. But getting the incentive dollars aren't just like free money. You actually have to do something, and that requires an investment. And some of that is based off of timing of decision and ability to actually call, carry through on that. So I think what you heard was, over the, over the years, we made some decisions based off of what was happening in the market. So, you know, Cerner acquiring uh, uh, Siemens and, and what that did for us in terms of having to kind of catch up and how effectively we've been able to do that. And in some cases, not so effectively. So now we're at exposure to lose some money. But, you know, is that we want to tell you that so you you know that. But then the, the, the analysis is, is that uh, uh, significant enough for us to do something uh, more accelerated or urgent in our current world to actually capture that since again we need to do it anyway or do we just make note of that know what informed it and drove it and say okay well keep me apprised of what's going to happen here uh, if there isn't any action but I think to this one and a subsequent ones there is some follow-up management action including what uh, David just mentioned which is bringing in an external group to help to provide what our providers have been asking for in many cases is, is a additional training resources so that they can do a better job at uh, using the tools that we have and we can design those tools to better meet the things that they're trying to achieve for patients. Uh, thank you sure. for spending time doing that. I guess the, the other question I had, and th as I listened to your response, it was, it was a response relative to your role as an administrator uh, in the organization. Mm -hmm. So what behavior or what would you expect from us as a committee? Yeah. What, what do you need from us and what is it that you want us to do? Sure. So I, I, th I think it, you know, it covers a gamut. One is actually uh, understanding kind of what the elements of a program, of a compliance program are, so those seven elements, and make sure that you feel comfortable that we have them. So we have a committee that's looking at it. We have an identified auditor. That reporting relationship is right. We do an audit plan. We're following up on those things. So you feel like those things are happening, and, and you see evidence of those things happening is, is sort of the fundamental piece of it. And then the second part is in to that extent where we're doing the program, you are getting a sense of the rigor or not, if you feel that way, uh, in, in the manner in which we're carrying out this assessment of, of the practices in the organization, that we're looking at the right sorts of things. So in the last minute, you pointed out one. You said, you know, he, he presented an audit plan, and you said, why is it that the Toyon report and the follow-up from that doesn't rise to the level of things that you're looking at as a risk? 
and how will you resource kind of following up and tracking those things? And uh, he took that as a fair point and said, okay, well, I will amend my plan to include that. I will look at the resources that are required to address that. And if I have to come back to you and say, you know, we need to uh, uh, adjust the rest of the plan to uh, either deprioritize something else or we need to adjust the resources. If you say, you know, I really do think all those things are important and so you look to me to say, find a way to resource his ability to look into more things, then, then that's the way that your input as a committee can help. There, there are several ways, but those are some of the ways in which you can, you, your, your role, I think, helps us. And I, I'd invite Rick or, or Mike to add to that, but that's my take on it. Yeah, and I, I would just sort of add, it's sort of a testing function. I mean, Rick's reports, Rick's work, uh, both in internal audit and compliance, are a representation to you that we have looked at and we have confidence, no confidence, we're, we're addressing these various issues. And, you know, from the board standpoint, you know, it's a question of, of testing, you know, that representation. How have you done this? You know, describe to me what your findings are. You know, why did you look at this issue as opposed to other issues? And it's not so much, you know, you know, the, the question of whether or not, you know, the board is, you know, finding things different than, you know, what the auditor did, but it's satisfying yourself that the representation made to you is, in fact, an accurate representation, and that the methodology, the process that was followed to get to that conclusion makes sense and would sort of hold up. You know, because if, you know, Rick, you know, comes, you know, I did an internal audit, you know, of our accounts receivable, and, you know, I, you know, determined that, you know, they are, as they say, well, how did you determine that? And he says, well, you know, David told me that they were, and that's it. Well, okay, you've now tested that representation, and it doesn't appear the methodology is good enough, and so you might ask, you know, additional questions about that. But, you know, the question, so it's really a testing, you know, process that you're going through, and that testing process, you know, allows you to, you know, sort of poke at various pieces of the organization, you know, based upon, you know, what's been, you know, brought to you. And it, in, it gives you a sense of confidence in the board members that what you're being told in terms of how we're safeguarding the assets of the organization, that it's being done in a responsible fashion and that, you know, you're looking at things which are important to drawing that conclusion that it's being, you know, that you're adequately safeguarding things. So one thing I'd like to add on that, uh, if you look at page 17 of your packet where I have the schedule uh, for the EHR incentive payments that we've received, uh, my job is to provide an independent assessment of the situation. And if Dave Gravender came in here and said, meaningful use is going great and we've recovered $11 million or we've been provided $11 million in, in incentive payments, you would say, great, keep it up. And he goes on his merry way. When I look at it, I say, well, gosh, we got $11 million, but there's opportunity for more, and, and we're leaving it lying on the table. So I'm trying to paint that picture for you that uh, it's, there's issues there. And so when he comes to you with a plan and says, well, I need some resources you know, and, and here's my plan, and I'm, or it comes to management, you know, your, your job would, to be, would be to say, yes, he needs to go forward with that, or yes, we're going to approve that contract or whatever so that we can finish that out, address that issue, and keep moving. Yep. 
Does, does that help? I'm does a that raise? <laughs> you know, Michelle, there are a couple of uh, resources we uh, put in a board effect that talk about the, uh, and I, I'm actually going to add a couple because I found a couple that talk specifically about mm -hmm. the relationship between the board and an internal auditor and how they can, you know, use that. But the things that are there now do talk about the board and both, in particular, its compliance responsibility and how that can be most effectively discharged. And, you know, it includes, you know, a, sort of an explanation of the relationship between what you all do as a board and what staff does to, you know, be compliant with the law and how, you know, you can sort of go through that testing, you know, process. But I'll put some more things in there that help, you know, sort of, you know, provide, you know, greater illustration. And some of these, you know, go to the point of, you know, even providing, you know, sample questions that, you know, board members can use that. And I think looking at those sample questions is helpful because I think it, it sort of, you know, it illustrates a little bit more fully the relationship. Yeah, you know, I, I, I suppose the struggle is as a layperson, and most, I mean, I'm probably of the board members the least knowledgeable about how everybody has not, some no. hospital connection, you know. Um, so as a layperson, how do, how, how do you determine what are the more critical things to have him, have him work on? Um, you know, the stuff that would, would certainly get us out of compliance, make us look bad, and I mean, so what are, how do you decide? How do you decide what's the more critical thing? I mean, it can't be, it can't be just money on the table, you know. Uh, it it may be you've got a compliance report that's coming up. I, I suppose the difficulty is that, I mean, I'm infinitely familiar with an external auditor. School districts had to do them all the time. I know uh, the State Department has tons of Chapter 1, Federal, I mean, there's zillions of compliance things. Mm -hmm. I've never worked with an internal. Mm. So I'm trying to understand what drives the work of an internal auditor mm -hmm. and is it the the criteria that you set up is you're you know you're in your administrative team and you said you know we better find out whether or not because a compliance is coming and we better find out whether we do this and then mm -hmm. you you send him in the direction and I'm perfectly okay with that I just need to know how our priorities established and when he just said to me to us um, you know, we ought to get on get on Dave to do not that you're not doing the work, but to get on Dave to get a little more because we're leaving money on the table. So let's get a little more energy behind that. How do I know that that issue is far more important to do? I mean, are you setting the pro who? That, that's where I'm struggling. I think, and sorry, I didn't. No, mean please, to no, please. But part of it, I think, is connecting the dots for me. As a trustee, I've heard about meaningful use in a finance committee meeting for so long and thinking about how that money can be like a revenue source, right? So we've talked about it in the last budget process and mm -hmm. things. So there's a sense of urgency there that, you know, this is the potential. And this is where we are. So I don't know in the big scheme of things how much it is, but the fact that in our budgeting process, and I'm very, very, um, because it, anything that will help us do more clinical quality measures 
is something that as a trustee I feel like yes if there's a reason for us to go do this with an urgency train our folks so I, I, I understand that a lot of things happened in the last year with the Serna Sorian and things but kind of lighting the fire a little bit and saying you know okay all of that happened but I'm glad we've got this uh, you know contractor who's going to help train the physicians why didn't we have that six months earlier if it's a no-cost thing why don't we have it last year when next gen was being implemented in the in that's the kind of discussion I want to have like what what galvanized us to have it now and not when we were doing the rollout in the in the ambulatory setting so you know these I suppose that's what I'm saying too yeah yeah how, how do you know that and, and I think to some extent, I mean, you know, Rick, and you know, I can let them talk to it, but, you know, when you, you prepare a audit plan in the beginning of the year and you're basing that on, I mean, it's, it, it's a bit fuzzy, but you're basing on, on your estimate of uh, the level of risk and the potential for impacting the entire organization. You know, and you're trying to boil things down. Some of them are more operational, some of them are more, and they may be a little bit harder to quantify. Some are financial, maybe a little bit easier to quantify, but that's what you're trying to do with the audit report, and, or not the audit report, the audit plan, and, and, uh, and try to focus you know, your limited resources on the things that you think are the most impactful, the most at risk, or, or pose the most risk. Right. I could try it. Sure. So that's what I think. That, that, you know, that, that I, I, I'm it very, it's late and I'm very guilty about talking to you guys about this. Okay, so, so um, having started many of these programs, um, you're not expected to be an auditor compliance expert. All you need is reasonable, you know, reasonable ability to, to listen and talk and ask good questions. So typically what you do <clears throat> is... Um, you have you start with a risk assessment. You have somebody's qualified that you trust. It could be Rick, it could be the external auditors. Come in and do a formal risk assessment of the organization, which is kind of what could go wrong, and if it did go wrong, how bad would that be? Mm -hmm. and so you're looking for things that are in that top right quadrant, and you get a nice big list. And some people do charts with colors and things. But then you talk to that person about, well, you know, what are the risks? And then given what you've seen of the controls here, where do you think we should test? And you make that decision. You get a recommendation from management. And then um, your auditor will come in with, um, you know, let's say I've got three people, four people. This is what we can do. This is what I, give them what you want to do. This is what I'd recommend we do this year. And that's the audit plan. When he comes in with uh, a finding like this, say, okay, did, did he do a good job at it? Did he, did he explain it? And then, what is management's response to that? Does management say, we don't care, not an issue? Do they say, oh, it's really important for us to do, we need to put resources on that, we're going to fix it? You listen to that. And then you ask to see the plan. <clears throat> okay, and they come, okay, this is what we're going to do to fix this. And then you, you have a little planning calendar, and you say, okay, Rick, in six months... We want you to bring that back and tell us how management did. And so now you're starting to get educated and you're seeing if management has a structured approach where they can look at an issue, identify a problem, 
and fix it? Or do they consistently miss things, you know, don't come back and don't fix it? That's it. And then, then you have a different discussion. Mm-hmm. That, so that's what you're looking for. And you start all over again. You say, okay, well, let's, let's revise the risk. That was, that was a nice year, and he's wrapped up his plan. What do you, what do you think the new risks are? You know, what should we be worrying about? And how do you rate the, um, I guess, the degree of risk in its impact on the organization? And, you know, er- earlier we had talked, and I think you modified the report that you gave us, mm-hmm. giving us a one, two, or three, you know. Mm-hmm. Three was, this was important, two, mm-hmm. and, you know, um, I-, I suppose. Uh, by, by consequences. By consequences. Yeah, what are the consequences? Okay. But but your but your role is the board though, <clears throat> is to also challenge and test that as well too, because ultimately you have the responsibility for oversight, and if we're telling you that, you know we don't we think this risk is higher than another, then you know you should ask us why do you think that you know what's the basis? Again, it's not so much a question of you all having to you know come to the conclusion or make the it's to test how we came to that conclusion whether that conclusion makes sense whether or not it's defensible from that standpoint and i think that sometimes the you know the challenge is sort of feeling the need to be able to sort of you know grade the response or something like that just sort of based upon what it is where it's it's really more a question of you know sort of, you know, the inquiries that really sort of get to the idea that this is a reliable conclusion they've presented to us because it was arrived at in a reliable fashion. Yeah, I'm really interested in how an organization prioritizes the things that they see are most critical. How, um, so that's one thing is, you know, what is your process for for accountability, what is your process for um, setting priorities in the organization? And I mean, this this place is just huge, and you're only so many bodies. And so, how is it that you choose that this thing is the more important? So, I'm interested in that portion. Not that I would say, because I don't know that this might be more important than that, but I can test whether or not you're thinking it through, you know, it, it's the way we did just earlier um, on that that 3.8 percentage of interest. Mm-hmm. You know, I was interested in what the process was that mm-hmm. you came up with that number. Mm-hmm. So I'm not arguing whether it's a good number or a bad number. I'm just interested in the process. Mm-hmm. And sure. basically the answer was it's the uh, best guess and I'm okay. I, I just needed to know what the process was. And so it's that same thing relative to this. Mm-hmm. Is so. And the government helps us. I mean, each year, you know, OIG, you know, the state identify particular issues which organizations need to pay attention to. Right. You know, and that's based upon all of their enforcement experience right. and what they found in conducting all of the surveys and audits and inspections right. and complaint and responses right. they've done. So that is, you know, oftentimes the place where we start is that, well, you know, there are consequences. Those are known consequences because if the state co- the state identifies an issue, or the federal government identifies an issue, and tells you it's important, and they come in and you haven't done anything about it, you know what those right. consequences are. Yeah. So I mean, oftentimes, you know, I, I would say that that's you know 
that's one piece. There's also, we know certain things about the organization, so that's another piece. We know what we do well, we know what we don't do as well, so that's one piece. There's you know, a piece there, our experience tells us, you know, depending upon whatever the circumstances are, the time of the year or, or particular, that you understand that this is going to be a bigger issue than other issues. And, uh, and you know, to quote you, Michelle, you know, <laughs> we can do it, we can look at anything or, or however the, the thing, you know, mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? But we can't look at everything. But we can't we look can, at everything. That's right. You but can do anything start, you want, you can't do everything. But once we start applying all of those things, okay, the state has told, or the, you know, CMS has said this is a big issue. You know, last year there was a big court case, you know, where, you know, they threw six people in jail because they failed to do this. And we've never done this sort of thing well. Okay? That's, yeah, that's right. Going on. Exactly. That's the sort of process that, you know, we, that, you know, I think, you know, is, you know, Rick has well refined, you know, because he's been doing it 19 years. What's it? A hundred. <laughs> it's, it's an iterative process, too, and, and uh, I think, you know, Mike pointed out a lot, especially the other one I mentioned is, like, again, what's going on in the marketplace. So, you know, you start to see other vulnerabilities that organizations are experiencing and thinking, could we be next, right? So, so hacking uh, uh, is a, is a uh, thing that happens, is happening more in healthcare. You know, what sort of securities do we have? You may have heard a report from us that, uh, this, that you know, we have these things in place and they look good. Uh, Rick may make a footnote of that and go, you know, I want to just kind of like see how this continues to materialize and if I see any other source of evidence that, there's, that I should take a deeper dive into this and give you a, a different uh, opinion, uh, which may be the same outcome, but a different opinion from my vantage point probing the organization and seeing how we're doing. It could be things like uh, some of the things we put at um, the end of the reports was happening in this space that are always financially driven like that. The IT thing is not financially driven but has an impact. Uh, but it could be something like, you know, uh, some some employer at a different or employee at a different organization just got arrested because they were discovered to have done X. And you're like, oh, I wonder if we have that type of exposure. Mm -hmm. So again, we can't look at everything, but we may put that on the list and say, and you know, when, it, when we step back, is that something that's a greater risk for us than, say, this other thing? And by, by virtue of that. Well, Hello. Right. I think it was. Uh, that's good enough for my I do want to extend my appreciation to Dallas for helping help me. I really appreciate it. I'm sorry that I No, this is helpful to me, too, because, you know, totally new to the committee, and I think. Me, too, and I. Our accounting policies compare with others. You know, like you're the, you can preempt mm -hmm. some of the stuff that the external auditors will be looking mm -hmm. for. So, yeah. We'll and, and it is really important because, you know, uh, all of this, as I said, none of this precludes us from ever being a victim of or being uh, 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 found liable of running afoul of some rule or, or, or regulation. And part of then what happens as a follow-up to that would be a, fe a federal <coughs> regulator or OIG or CMS saying, uh, you know, this organization is operating in an ethical manner by and large. They really are trying to look at things like this uh, and have a good program that seems to be doing the types of best practices that we recommend for an organization that's trying to do this and not just saying we're going to practice business until somebody calls us out on it. Uh, so, so it's really important to have a conversation like this so that you could, if, you, if we ever 
on ourselves in an unfortunate circumstance and somebody said, I want to talk to your governance and say, how do you question the business practices of the organization? You could say, you know, we, we have an audit committee. We talk to our auditor about, we have an internal auditor. We talk to them about that plan. We get confidence that that plan is, you know, the right sorts of things to be looking at. Uh, and we feel good at the rigor of the auditing process. Uh, and could we miss stuff? Sure. But the likelihood is better that we'll catch things if we have that type of practice and uh, conduct in place. Thank you, Jill Becky. Sure. Really no, this, help, this helps us, too. I, I appreciate it. Okay, Rick, you're, you're still on. Next audit? The next, yes, the next audit. Okay, the next one would be the uh, ED charge capture uh, trauma audit. <coughs> and what I was trying to do, uh, since most payers go by CMS guidelines, I was reviewing CMS guidelines to see that we were uh, capturing the trauma cases and billing them mm -hmm. appropriately. Uh, and there was a few issues uh, with the documentation and the way that we were charging. Uh, out of the $56 million in trauma charges uh, for the last 12 months, I felt that uh, Maybe 18 million of that was at risk if we were audited because the documentation didn't uh, adequately support the charges that we submitted. And we might be able to go back and, and gather enough information to support those in an audit, but uh, there would be some, some issues there. Uh, I also felt like there was uh, 3.2 six million dollars in additional revenue that we could collect if we pursued uh, a number of these trauma cases and uh, uh, that was on just the cases that I identified during the audit and then there would be ongoing uh, collections because basically if you're a non-contracted provider you should be reimbursing us uh, pretty much 100% of charges. Mm -hmm. And we had a number of payers that were reimbursing at like 50%. And our billing department was saying thank you very much and booking the cash. Uh, and we didn't have, at the time, we didn't have this, this denial or underpayment unit that would go back and pursue a collection of the extra money. So since that time, we've uh, added that unit. All of these claims were sent over and said, collect them. Uh, and so they've been pursuing those payments. Uh, in some cases, they got additional money. In other cases, the claims again got denied. And so they've been turned over to an outside attorney for collection because uh, the, the guidance is very clear. If you're non-contracting, you pay 100%. I appreciate because the question I was going to ask you just now is what what is the loop back process that you have? So you kind of indicated that you sent these things on. They've processed the. So, I followed up on the individual claims to make sure that we either collected them or they were being pursued uh, by this external firm, and I will go back later to see how we did on that collection effort. See, that, that to me in your reports to, to us as a group might be, because you do put the management response, and basically they said the process has been modified and effective and the issue is closed. Right. So that's a management response. So what's the auditors cycle back to make certain that, in fact, 
the work was done effectively and and so we continue to look at these items I'll be looking at the ones that aren't closed yet to make sure we uh, streamline that process and get some effective controls in there and document things properly uh, a lot of changes have already happened in that area but uh, there's some additional activities that need to happen between our uh, revenue cycle area and the people that do the trauma billing to make sure and and some training of the providers to make sure we document those charges properly and I'll be going back and, and working with those areas to make sure that I'm comfortable with uh, the process so in your that was report when you say issue closed <laughs> you closed it yeah yes it's not going to be closed until the payers pay us 100% of charges up front when we bill. But it's a process to get them from where they are now, where they're used to getting away with just paying us 40 or 50% of their charges, to one where they know they have to deal with it when they pay us, which is supposed to, without all the fighting. So it'll, it'll take some time to do that. And so you keep it on your tab sheet and come back? I will. So actually, I think what this then brings up is so so what you're hearing it sounds like is a difference of opinion. So so you as the internal auditor, if if the audit committee were looking at this and saw that you are reflecting something as closed, I think it would be reasonable to assume that you, in your opinion, believe that this matter is now resolved. But it sounds like management would say, well, no, it's not quite resolved yet. So it seems to me it's, you should be the final person saying it's resolved. I feel it's resolved from the standpoint that we've done what we could internally to collect that money and now we've turned it over to an external agency to do that collection. And that might take several years. But is the resolution on the, the actual things you look at so or they the are, process? The outcome. The, res the process has been put in place that we now are monitoring those payments to make sure that they're paying the proper amount. We're pursuing the collection and we will work with individual payers to make sure that they're paying us closer to that 100%. Which was the real issue here uh, was there's a bunch of claims you can collect but we need a process to make sure that you don't just accept, uh, what we get. accept that payment and move on. Yeah, I, I'm. Yes, thank you. And um, I was kind of talking about again the information you're giving to a board. So you gave specifics. You put in your report issue closed. I don't know what that means. And so maybe future, you might, you know, where it says recommendation, and then you have a management response. And you know, the manager as example, it says. We agree with the findings, uh, trauma codes, uh, and you put the issue closed. Um, what is that? So just did the management said, respond yeah. to if it, it, it or? Would be expanded. Yes, it just needs to be expanded a bit. Okay. Exactly what you said. Thank you. Okay. Okay. Um, I, no, I, I had a question. Um, oh, I'm sorry, Jim. So with respect. So, Rick, you, you also identified um, fairly large dollar value of um, things that you said, gee, it may not stand up under an audit. And I'm wondering, maybe it's a matter of degree, but I'm wondering if, this is, if there's money there that um, we build incorrectly, should we be giving it back? No. 
in most cases, these uh, claims are paid by DRG, and that means that it's going to be the same amount based on uh, the uh, issue with the patient. So uh, depending on the diagnosis, you're going to get a certain amount of reimbursement. Uh, if, if they're fee-for-service, then we weren't collecting all of it anyway. So we need to negotiate those with the payers. Uh, I don't think we owe refunds. Well, but you were saying that you were saying that there's 18 million dollars potentially at risk if, there were, if the uh, payers audited us. The, the entire claim could be at risk. In some cases, a, a payer might deny the claim in its entirety because we didn't justify the uh, action. Mm -hmm. But we did provide trauma care. We did provide extensive services. Uh, I, I can't tell you which part might be denied based on an audit. Uh, there's a $27,000 activation fee for activating a trauma team. That part might be denied. Uh, if, if they had paid us 100% of charges, they would, uh, we would owe them that money back. But it's all based on audits uh, and the extent of the audits. Uh, we get audited by uh, Kaiser very often. And mm -hmm. we don't seem to have much of an issue with them. Uh, they pay us close to 100% on all claims. And uh, this does not seem to be something that they look at when they come in. So I'm pointing it out as a risk because if somebody came in and did a thorough audit by the book, they might have a problem with it. But uh, it's all you know, based on what happens when an audit comes in. Well, um, we we're subject to that in every area, so I wouldn't. Right. Yeah. Okay, you want to move to skilled nursing? Okay. Uh, so I was actually doing a skilled nursing review as a compliance review and wanted to make sure that we were billing room rates appropriately. Uh, but what I found was that there wasn't much variety in room rates, that we pretty much bill everything the same. You're either uh, in a room getting skilled nursing care or you're on an admin day because you're going to another facility to visit the doctor, you're not there overnight, something. Uh, but while I was in there, I noticed some problems with the billing, and uh, we weren't current on some of the accounts that I looked at. And so I went through all current accounts in the skilled nursing facility and uh, identified that there was some problems with uh, Sorian Financials that uh, some of the claims weren't dropping to bill, and some of them were almost a year old, and we had $7 million in total that hadn't been billed currently. So uh, I worked with the uh, revenue cycle to make sure that we got bills current. 
and I haven't done the, the final follow-up, but uh, a process was developed to monitor these weekly, make sure that bills are dropped timely, and uh, I need to go back and make sure that every account has actually been billed to current. Well, David keeps telling us that there's more there's more in there that he can collect. I mean, he's said he's said that just about every finance meeting we've had. So there's an example of of money that, uh, and it's supposed to be current by 7:31. And I haven't had time to follow up yet. Okay. Uh, it was probably 75 percent done the last time I looked, which was in middle of July. Uh, it was supposed to be done by the end of the month, and uh, so would I will you be, add this to your agenda for next meeting so that uh, we can find out whether it, or not it's it will be on this follow-up list. Perfect. Thank mm -hmm. you. Okay. Any other questions on that one? Uh, I have one. So this is at Fairmont. Yes. The other Fairmont. As you know, we have multiple skilled nursing on different systems, <clears throat> and the people who are in the skilled nursing at Alameda have their own, and they focus on it, and they pretty good, even with the old antiquated system. This one sort of gets lost because it's not sort of financial, and some, I don't know if Ashley looks at it, but great finding. It's part of the new structure of creating post-acute care. One objective is combine these into a single unit. Ah, uh, yes, who of know course. know how to run you skilled think. nursing. Of course, of course. That's a lot of it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you go through this report, you know, you start adding up the loss of dollars here, and this is no poke in the eye. I mean, this is this is real dollars here that we're, yeah. Shoot. Okay. All right, page 33. Annual financial audit, CPA, we did that. Management letter, yes? So the management letter uh, status, uh, as far as I know, all the issues are still open. Uh, there was one that uh, was supposed to be wrapped up the end of August, and I haven't had time to follow up on that one yet. Uh, with the audit going on <coughs> and the Toyon status report going on, it was some of these things slid. So I will have a better update at the next meeting. Uh, a few of them have uh, moved out to year-end for completion, and uh, one of my, I didn't have a date at the time of publishing, uh, Dave, that would be item five, which we're, we're working, so. Getting the assets back from employees. Yeah, this is part of our whole identity management, definitely part of who are who new people are, when they terminate, how do we disable all their logins, and how do we reacquire all the assets that have been assigned to them? And that's all tied up in that identity management process, which is the project started in, in requirements definition. So we just need to determine now when will that project be complete. Okay. Uh, status of the 2016 internal audit plan done. Well, what about the penetration audit? Penetration audit uh, did not start, and I moved it to the 2017 plan because uh, we <coughs> still have some issues between AT&T and 
two, two components to that. One is there's um, the what was driven this audit was the Comcast being installed. If we were going to change the network significantly, we thought we shouldn't do the penetration test before we make a, a very significant change to our internet access. And so it was pending that, that Comcast to be complete. There's still issues with Comcast being installed at our Redwood data center, which is at an AT&T data center. And AT&T is, is pushed back against allowing Comcast to have access into that building. Gee, wonder AT&T or Comcast are competitors, but that's that's our desire. And so we're working through that process with them. Get Comcast installed. Once that's installed, then we'll do this penetration test. A, a very large component of this, and Ricky, you can comment on that, was done as part of our annual meaningful use audit. So, so as part of our meaningful use, we're required to do a HIPAA and vulnerability assessment uh, as this. They didn't do everything that was included in this external audit comment letter. And so while we've done many of these things, we haven't done that single penetration testing that goes to the extent that this audit asks us to do. And do our external auditors do that? Do that? No, we, no. we do that we with do an that. independent independent third party does that penetration testing. From a team to the DR, we have a level two from it, ETA five minutes. From a team to the ER, we have a level two. So I always connect this one with the other audit that said when people leave, we don't do a very good job of making sure that they're out of the system. And so it just makes me feel like we should complete this sooner than later because with the disasters well, that have occurred. Right. In this case, it, someone with a key gets in. And if we don't know they've been terminated, which is part of the problem, yeah. that, that they're not terminated in the Lawson system, so IT doesn't know they've been terminated because the manager hasn't notified HR right. they've been terminated, right. that key still works. Right. And so no, no amount of vulnerability testing is going to say that someone with a valid key shouldn't get in because the so key is valid until we're told it's invalid. Well, it's, it's a similar issue, though, which is how tight is our system? Can people... Can somebody get into the system and corrupt it or take it over? Well, and why question. does that become an IT? It seems to me that that's a human resource issue. I mean, I'm not it, understanding it, why it's... It is, unless, it, and, and, and it's, forgive me if I didn't hear this part, if, if it is a case that HR is notifying IT that people are out of the system and there isn't a reliable, like, we should know that once you're notified that people yes. are... are, are uh, removed. Removed from the yes. system. If the audits show that that, in fact, is the case, I agree. This is not an IT follow-up. This is an HR follow-up to make sure that that, that is getting to that point, uh, at least from the perspective of this particular and, aspect and of our vulnerability. Rick what did that audit a year or two ago. Yeah. Do you issue the final check? I mean, who uh, do they receive a... Their final paycheck, yeah. Their final paycheck all, before checking payroll. out? That, they, yeah, that would be payroll. If HR is notified of their termination date, yes, they do. If they are not notified, they don't. Well, I, I would see that an employee, and I can tell you having done this in an education system, that the employee wants their check. And they there's a checklist here of all the things that they need to do before they get the check. That's and right. one of those is... Bad computer. That's right. All, collect all of your... They collect all their stuff. They turn in their keys. They do all that. And but once... They're not getting that final check. Well, I think that's an HR issue. That because if they, they're not terminated in HR, they don't get that final check. Okay, but we had an audit on this. We had a finding. We had a recommendation. Management probably agreed. Management probably said they were going to fix it. And I can still scroll down the list and see people that I know aren't here anymore. Well, okay, so there's, there's a different issue, yeah. though. That's 
removing things out of the uh, okay, directory. Email directory. It doesn't mean they have access still. Right. Okay. Uh, but the identity management system, when in place, would go out and update telephone directory, would go out and update uh, the network directory, uh, would remove the application uh, logins. Okay. But we're, we're, we're kind of mixing two issues. So you've got the HR uh, okay. terminating employee issue, and then you've got the penetration review, which is more of a hacker uh, right. activity. Can somebody beat the system and get in if they don't have valid credentials? So uh, mm -hmm. as an outsider, can they break into our system? Can they get access to important information. And that's the, the thing we're trying to get done at the data centers with. That's the penetration testing. So what's the timeline uh, for this? It was supposed to be done and since it Same wasn't gym. started now for 17 is. So I yeah. put it on the schedule for later in the year because I don't want to keep explaining that it hasn't started yet. Once it gets started, it's probably uh, a couple of weeks of activity, and then we have a report. Well, Rick, well, Rick that's not your choice. If something is non-compliant, you can't decide, I want to keep explaining it. it it's non-compliant. It's got to be on the list. It's on the list. I put it on later in the year because until IT gets the issues worked out to get uh, this penetration review started, it's it's not going to get done. Okay, so you got the penetration. Can you assure me that people are not getting a paycheck unless they have turned in their keys, their computer, all the stuff that they need to do? No. That to me is a high issue. So, and that, and and that's a safety issue. Yeah. It's it's a safety issue. It's a financial issue. It's all of those things. So, so I would say the point is, when, when you say, no, you can't, are you saying that, that no, you don't believe that's actually happening right now, or you actually haven't looked and you can't speak to whether it I is? I can't assure question. her personally. Uh, because you haven't looked at it? It has happened before, and uh, the processes supposedly have improved, but I can't tell you for certain that it always happens that way. I don't think we have the system in place uh, to methodically do that because employees get terminated every day. They get walked out the door. Respectfully, your your answer was twofold. You, first, you said I couldn't do part of it, and now you're saying you don't think it at all. So first it was mm, maybe, and now it's we don't have a system in place. <coughs> I don't think we have a system in place to ensure that it happens every time, but I don't know of any instances where it has occurred. Because we haven't done a... Because I haven't done a thorough review of that process. That's the question. What, yeah. what I did so a year and a half that, ago... So, it's not, okay, so to your point, it's, it's a concern right now. If it isn't happening, it's an issue. It's a concern now, and it's something we should check on. Uh, um, and I think the check now doesn't necessarily have to be an audit. We can start with a management question to HR about what is our process for doing this and 
what is their sense of how uh, how uh, routinely and reliably we're able to do this, and then uh, we we continue to track this or find out if there are examples to the contrary, and that might actually escalate it as a vulnerability in this particular fashion. Penetration, I think, is broader than this, mm-hmm. um, but and that's what your your this particular audit is about. So, I still want to get to that point of like, I think Michelle's point is. Even if it is a you know a pre- precursor IT thing that needs to occur, that you pushing it back to allow that in some respects can be justifiable, but you can't push it back sort of ad infinitum without calling out to the audit committee that you're pushing it back because management isn't doing something that will allow you to actually do the review because that sort of defeats the purpose of actually saying I'm trying to get this done. So so that's that one thing. But the other thing I think we can start at this point, and if we determine that. You know, we're uncomfortable with where things are, then we may say, one, fix it, but two, we may we need a deeper audit on what our exposure is here. Yeah, I think we need some kind of, you know, scan on what our exposure is. So I will, I will share, uh, and, and because we, we started a process recently where uh, we weren't, as a committee, uh, doing the same sorts of things we do with other committees where uh, we'll do an agenda review and talk about kind of some of the, the agenda items where I'm at least sort of preliminarily aware of what's going on in the agenda and we can talk through it. More pivotal in this area as we talk about kind of strengthening our program, the long discussion that we just had. Um, and uh, so we're starting that process now. And one of the things that came out of our last meeting, the first one, I think, uh, of this nature, was that I'm not sure that Rick is getting all of the the muscle that he needs from management's perspective when we have a either a pending audit that needs to be completed or in more cases finding and management needs to respond and or follow up and do what we said we do uh, I'm taking accountability for that so Mike is, has started that process of working with me but you know, I'm one of the ones we're working on now uh, I don't think the response has been timely enough and so that's that's on me to actually work with Rick and make sure that happens to hold everyone in this room and not in this room accountable for saying we're going to be reporting this not not just because we're reporting it to the board but because we should be doing it with the extra emphasis that it's publicly reported to our board as well as This is why I really admire you as a leader is your willingness to take on and say this is on me we got to do so. I, I really appreciate that. I do. Very much. I learned it by watching me. <laughs> I, I do. I, I appreciate that very much. Um, so I, I see this as an important, I think the audit committee may agree that we need to figure out that when people leave, there has to be a process. And I can, on my own experience, the stop was at the payroll office. So nobody got a check without a piece of paper that said they had gone through all the stuff. So you guys do whatever you want, but I can tell you I stopped paying dead people as a result of a process. So Did they complain? <laughs> Amazingly, they did not, but there were checks all over the place for folks that were no longer living, were in the system. It was really bad. Um, so, okay, next, Rick, I'm sorry. Okay, uh, status of the... Internal audit plan for 2017. On time at the moment. Uh, hopefully not changing. Uh, 
I only did update it through July, but uh, it's pretty much the same activities in August. Uh, I've started the NPI billing numbers. Uh, I've, I'm looking at outpatient pharmacy uh, for pricing and uh, reimbursement make sure that we're doing these are the expensive drugs uh, that we're using for chemo and mm -hmm. I want to make sure that when we bill those we're billing them as expensive drugs and not right. as the cheaper alternatives right. okay uh, page 39 follow up on past audit reports uh, again I've I've laid out the different uh, audits that I'm continuing to follow up on until all items are uh, complete. And uh, there's a few items that have slid uh, and a few items that have been completed. And I'll continue to update that as uh, we go on. And I'll add the new audits to the list. Are there any questions about Follow-up activity. Uh, I've also added the uh, name of the responsible executive so that we know when things slide. <laughs> well, it's the high-priority things that slide that would give uh, give me concern. So. Okay. So a couple of those items, uh, I actually received notification after publication of this uh, packet that uh, management felt they were done. Uh, I was asking them for a new date because I, I wasn't aware of, of any substantial activity. So uh, I will be going back and, and following up with each of those areas. And if they thought it was done, and I will verify it and then update this accordingly. Okay. An example of that, Michelle. Mm -hmm. So, like the terminated employee notification right now, Dave, it's you who's working that this out with HR, or it's you know? this piece of identity management that is what keeps that item on the list. So it's not the because that was the audit Rick did on. Did we actually terminate the remove the login for the people that were terminated, and that piece of the audit was completed. It's this identity management saying, do we know the rest about them? Right. Keep that so that's going to stay on? Right. Okay. So w one of those was from the uh, annual auditors. One of them was from me. Got it. Okay. Rick, I was just going to comment on two of them since I see my wonderful name on them. A an example is um, getting uh, inpatient orders uh, completed by midnight. Uh, the delay obviously is we don't have the nocturnists that were part of the hospitalist group that you approved six months ago on board yet. Um, I think there is a common parallel of uh, getting contracts with Oak Care completed. Mm -hmm. So we had hoped to have them in July. I'll give you a timeline or I'll give Rick the timeline of when we think they'll be on board. And that'll take care of the issue of having enough attendings uh, close to midnight to get all those orders in. Mm -hmm. But what, there's no new date, so what, what was that we were going to put on? Pharmacy. On you. Are, are you putting a new date on there? Yeah, but I, I'm 
contacting Peter Hull to get an idea of when he'll think he'll be done with recruitment for the Nocturnus and then add another two months or so for uh, credentialing. Well, what, one of the advantages, as you'll see on number one up at the top where Dave is, mm -hmm. is you, you can see, you know, this thing, and so keeping a running, a running thing helps. Okay, I'll okay. do so. Sure. Okay, let's do toy on report. Okay. So, at the last committee meeting, I was asked to uh, start doing some monitoring and updating on uh, the Toyon recommendations. And so I went back to the original Toyon report and identified uh, all of the recommendations that were in there uh, to make sure that I had uh, an accounting for everything. And there was actually 43 recommendations because uh, some of the recommendations had multiple pieces to it. Uh, so I went through all of those and uh, did interviews with management and tested where appropriate to find out where we were. And uh, I have concluded at this point that we have 32 items that have been completed and 11 that are scheduled for completion. Some of those are short-term uh, deliverables. Some of them are longer-term deliverables. But uh, I, I think that management has made significant progress. It's been a year and a half since the report came out, and uh, they've made significant progress on resolving these issues. Uh, in some cases, uh, management re was reporting things as ongoing because the recommendation was something like uh, yes. develop reports. And it said, well, it's ongoing. And I said, well, did you identify the reports that you needed immediately? Yes. Did you finish those? Yes. Let's, let's close it. It's, everyone's going to identify a report sometime or other. So I, I said, we've got to put these into manageable buckets, get a timeline, get them closed. So uh, I feel comfortable with the progress, and uh, I, I'm going to continue updating this uh, and meeting with Revenue Cycle uh, to make sure that sufficient action is taken to get these things resolved. So could you go before the Board of Supervisors and test that this is, that you have gone through these things and every place that it says complete, you're confident that they have been completed and no longer are an issue? Yes. Good. Any questions? Uh, Rick, could I ask that you send your report um, and maybe just give it to Susanna so that she, on the toy-in thing, so she can, in fact, give it to the rest of the board? Okay. And, and in part because I think the board took you know, the organization as a whole took a pretty heavy hit in this, and it you know, it was public and there was a whole lot of stuff. And, and when we had the, what do they call it, group that made the report, you know, the. Yeah, it's Nancy. No, the, oh gosh, I'm getting so upset. The health committee? 
It's the court system, and they review. Oh, the grand jury. The grand jury. Yeah, yeah, and the grand jury called us on a whole lot of this stuff. You know, I just, it would be nice for the board to have an understanding of where we are in this process. So uh, if you get this to Susanna, and Susanna, would you get this out to board members? Thank you. Okay, compliance program. Okay, compliance program. Uh, for the 2016 plan, uh, there was one project that never started. Uh, HIM was supposed to do the uh, CDI initiative, and it never got off the ground due to staffing issues. Uh, so I have closed out the 2016 plan and moved that to the 2017 plan. Uh, 2017 plan is on time. I've uh, got a number of uh, reviews and issues in process. I, I think I've reported long enough that the compliance program is, is built out. We have the sev seven elements uh, of a compliance program covered. Uh, we're doing reviews. We've got a compliance officer. We're following up on activities. We've got internal audit activities. I've um, uh, been doing the OIG exclusion reviews. Uh, so I think everything is moving along fine. Uh, I have modified the compliance dashboard a little bit. Uh, two pages of, of little blocks seem to be a little bit uh, excessive, so I've cut that down to uh, demonstrate more of what's going on from a compliance perspective. And uh, we had 29 issues reported last quarter. 19 of those are still open. We're working on the other 10. Uh, I'll keep doing updates of those. Uh, as you can see, the majority of issues are privacy and billing, HR. Uh, of the 10, Rick, I see, you know, there's, there's one, a hostile work environment and discrimination issues. You say they're investigating. How do you come back and follow and... and find out whether or not that's closed. I periodically check with uh, HR, with the uh, Labor Relations Department, to see where they are and if they've closed things out and uh, get an update on the status of those. And uh, when they feel like that's been worked adequately and explain to me what they've done with it, then I close it. And, and of the ten things that are still open, why did you decide these five to show us? Uh, I thought those were kind of uh, things that were appropriate, uh, things that these are significant issues that I think uh, are getting pointed out. Or, uh, I don't want to call them trends, but uh, a lot of things that get reported are really nothing. They're somebody's opinion that there's an issue and I have to investigate it and I find that there's no merit to the situation. I close it. Uh, these, I think, uh, have to be worked. You know, contract issues. You said issues. there were ten open, and you chose five. What? What are the other five? Uh, and and why, I guess why didn't you put them on there too? Because I don't know enough about them yet. Uh, I get a report. I, I don't want to put reports in here just to uh, add fluff. Uh, if I don't know that it's really an issue, then I don't think it 
warrants reporting at this level. I mean, if you want more detail on, on the open issues, I can put that in, but uh, I thought these were, give you a flavor of the type of issues that were being reported. I, I think I, I personally, and can, can you, you know, Jim can speak for himself, it's just making certain that, that there's a loop that's closed. So if, in fact, you have two issues of hostile work environment, then April and June, that you have followed up and you say HR is investigating, that that was, in fact, investigated and there was resolution. That That's really... And usually what happens is if there is not resolution... I get additional reports from the same area uh, because they'll they'll keep reporting it over and over again until it gets resolved. Uh, but but I do follow up independently with uh, HR on those type of issues. Okay, thank you. Okay, I I have a copy of the audit plan for last year and this year or compliance plan. Uh, so regulatory activity, uh, we've attached an article about a Kaiser employee that embezzled $7 million. Uh, I, I wanted to put this out because we had the discussion last uh, meeting about our, what are we doing about fraud and what's happening and do we have adequate controls. And this is just an example of even companies that have good controls. It, it can happen. Well, we don't have $7 million, so it wouldn't happen here. But, uh, <laughs> uh, there, uh, there are. are <laughs> that could happen here. Uh, we have, yeah, almost a billion dollars. Let's, let's uh, clarify that. So when, we're not a. What is Kaiser? 42, 50 billion? I, I've lost track of the We're not that size organization, but we do have uh, significant no, it, exposure. Yeah. Or, and it's the size of, of Kaiser, $7 million might not even be noticed, depending on how they did the scheme. But uh, normally you can cover things up uh, if you're really doing that kind of activity. And, and that's one of the things that uh, is look for in the annual audit. That's one of the things that I do periodically in looking at uh, different processes. You have to uh, see what type of controls you have in place and that we're not doing things like that in our organization. Uh, and the things that I have found in the past and, and you know, you might have a, a duplicate expense report that somebody didn't turn in and you go and get it back, but I have not seen any intentional fraud in this organization. It's good to know. Well, yeah, but you've got to you've got to think how did something like this happen? Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, mm -hmm. So in this case, he's investigating workers' comp. So he's a manager. He's got authority to uh, conduct investigations and make mm -hmm. payments. Mm -hmm. So should there not have been a committee that reviews the reports on the investigations and says, oh, well, okay, here it is, a real case. In other words, you don't concentrate everything in one individual. Right. You can't right. both, you know, authorize the payment, 
get in and just have it all right there, you've got to have some type of checks and balances. Yeah, that was a fundamental control. Sounds like a fundamental control flaw there. What also looks like they didn't do much to check out his background, the history of criminal behavior. And it's like, wait, we're going to hire some guy to deal with fraudulent claims who has a history of fraud. (laughs) Right. And and in our case, we do background checks on uh, employees. And I don't know how long we've been doing them, but uh, one of the other things by doing the OIG exclusion list, if we ran across somebody that had been doing something in the past, uh, we would identify those as part of that and work that issue with HR and legal. And, uh, yeah. Although but in you know, this case, he wouldn't have you know done I'm, I'm sure that if you went and talked to people at Kaiser, they'd, they'd um, you know, snap their suspenders and say, boy, we've got all that stuff and, and 10 mm-hmm. times more than you guys do at Alameda, <laughs> so we're so much better. And that happened anyway, so, you know, you just never let your guard down. I'd be willing to bet Kaiser took this very seriously. Oh, I oh, suspect yeah. so. I, I think they took this no, very I'm, seriously. No, I'm sure, I'm sure they did. I'm just saying that if you went to the average Kaiser person and, and said, hey, what, you know, tell me in general about your excellent employee vetting and controls, I'd go on and on about how excellent it is. And I was like, well, not always. <laughs> but I think that, no, I'm sure that they were... Um, and yeah. this is this is the one they Quite displeased and, and, and re- No, he's saying and, that uh, and, and, and they found this after it happened, but he had a pass. Yeah, I know, I know. So it was, it was how it was, you know, they may have said, you know, yeah, we were well aware of his past, and yeah. we determined that there was no risk to the organization, or they could yeah. have said, yeah, we didn't, you know, our screening didn't catch somebody uh, boo catch that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Anything else, Rick? Uh, time is fleeting. Current regulatory activity. Uh, I had reported previously on the HRSA 340B audit. Uh, we estimated a liability of $5.5 million and uh, worked with uh, the state and have reduced that to uh, $3.2 million. Uh, we are negotiating with uh, manufacturers now to see if we can reduce that further and just uh, buy uh, drugs in the future at the higher prices instead of giving money back. Uh, the other thing of uh, substance, the OIG, well, uh, the CMS audit of meaningful use, uh, we actually were, the, the report from Figliosi and company said that we failed meaningful use because our system was not uh, adequately certified because we didn't have all the modules we should have had. And they've asked us for about $1.4 million back uh, because we couldn't attest to the meaningful use and uh, certified EHR technology. And there's a potential then that uh, Medi-Cal, this was for on the Medicare side, uh, so there is potential that Medi-Cal could come back and ask us for their money back on meaningful use also. And this is specifically for Alameda, Alameda Hospital. This is Alameda the, Hospital. The 1.4 and is, both, is both Medicare oh. and Medi-Cal. So if we got a letter, it was only from Medicare. And this year one attestation for, so was for 2014, was it? or 2013. 13, so prior to affiliation. Yeah. Right. Tested, got the reimbursement. The audit came back and said, demonstrate how you met that, and we couldn't uh, 
demonstrate that from the records that we actually have. Right. So there was two modules that were required as part of the certified bundle, uh, and Meditech didn't bundle those as part of what they sold, so you had to buy them separately, and Alameda Hospital chose not to buy those two modules. They, they were two modules for things that were on the optional list of things that you could do for meaningful use, so there was a list of five things. You had to do three of them. These two were uh, having a patient portal and reporting to the uh, reporting laboratory results to the county. The county wasn't able to accept them, and so they didn't buy that module because they weren't going to do that, and they didn't buy the patient portal. So there were components that they ha would have had to buy from Meditech in addition to install, and they chose not to buy them. Uh, but which they, was but they were optional to buy? Yes. I mean, why would they get penalized if it was optional? Because Meditech said it was optional, not oh. CMS. Oh. But they took meaningful use money. But yeah, they took they meaningful use money. Oh. Yes. Because from an attestation standpoint, they could attest to everything that they did, except for the one box they checked that said, this is the certified system that we have, and which didn't include those two modules. So, so Rick, uh, as we conclude our, our audit meeting tonight, can you quickly go through and um, calculate the amount of money that was left on the table that we didn't collect, we didn't bill for, or all the other things that you've reported. Can you, do you know what the bottom line money, the bottom line total was? Mm, uh, I, I was thinking about 15 to 20. I was going through. More. I thought it was a little more than that. Yeah, I see it. I was converting the gross, he's talking gross revenue. Some of these things, I was trying to convert it into one. Uh, yeah. Do you mean gross? No, she thinks they, they mean real money. Just up. Real money, it's probably seven. Well, ten. Yeah, even the EHR. Just that. EHR, I, I was thinking about five. Just sniff is and like And then yeah, sniff would be. I, I've been listing here. 1.2. We're close to 20, 21 now. Yes. That. What are the numbers? So, EHR is it is is it five or is it higher? Uh, well, EHR there's uh, could be up to about eight. So five to eight. Uh, one point four. One point four for this. Yeah. So, close to ten. And then so the three there was we lost on the three million. Randy negotiated down. Great job. Yeah, but that's three million you could have material had. impact. Yep, yep, yep. And then what was one. the other one? Uh, trauma. The trauma. trauma. Oh, yeah. the uh, three and a half. The way we're already up past fifteen. Yeah, hours, instead so of bill charges for the payers, which you did annually. And the that nursing be, thing. That yeah. could be that six million. Oh, well, it's at and least three and a half, if not yeah. higher. Yeah. And then, um, yeah. And this isn't everything. No. No, it's not. It was just a few things that I looked at, what was involved in. Yeah, and, you know, I, I don't know how we communicate that to an organization that, in fact, are made up of human beings who, you know, have skills and et cetera. But this is a whole lot of money yeah. that is... So basically, I'll tell you the way I communicate. It. So we, we're we're doing town halls, and uh, in the town halls, what we're saying is, you know, this time last year, uh, uh, we were in a 
much more dire circumstance, right? We had, lo- we had come off a year where we lost money and we had an aggressive plan to get that back and uh, or to get back on the right side of the ledger. Uh, we were fortunate and did that. We were talking about that when we did the uh, finance report earlier tonight. Uh, but that there's still opportunity there. And you know, when we talk to the provider group, when we're talking to Alameda Health Partners and others, we're saying we still have yet opportunity. And it's not, you know, our, our, our failure up to now to realize all the opportunity is not for a lack of desire. It's honestly resource and bandwidth. Like, so we, we want to tackle all these things yesterday. Uh, we have to tackle them in sort of sequence and get get things squared away. Uh, but we we are still holding out and knowing, and, and our providers and others know too, that there's still great opportunity for us. And as we, as we open up the bandwidth, we want to keep going to these areas and keep them on our radar. You know, when I would sit at the negotiation table and had to do that quite frequently, one of the things that I would do is also because we would experience loss, mm-hmm. is I would bring that list to the negotiation table so that they would understand that the work that they do in the organization, in fact, affects their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it makes me have to, as, as the negotiator, to be able to say, no, I, we can't afford that because we lost here, 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 and here. And a lot of it is related to the work that individuals do within the organization. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the claims, the collecting, the, the, the billing processes. And so yeah. I don't know how you get it out in, in the basic information to say we're a part of this collective. And if everyone really were mindful, we would have saved ourselves just in this short period of time $20 million, which could, in fact, Help somebody. Help an integrated EHR. Yeah, find of course. Staffing resources of course, of course. Okay, anything else? Nope. Okay. Um, any comments? Public comments? Nothing? Okay, thank you for staying so late. I appreciate it.